Yeah. It's my new fan club. Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Community Lion Church. We really are excited that you have chosen to make being here with us this morning part of your Christmas celebration. Now, looking up here at the kids, it, it, it did make me think of something. So, so I remember the days when I was a little kid. So for you parents uh, of the children who are up front, you know, I, I want to ask you a question. So we'll do a raising of hands. Of you parents who were in a household where you had children opening gifts this morning, who here had, was opening gifts by, let's say, 8.30 in the morning? Go ahead and put your hands up. Okay, who here was opening gifts, but keep them up, by 8 o'clock in the morning? By 7.30 in the morning? By 7 in the morning? Okay, by 6.30 in the morning? By 6.15? Okay. Are those hands up or they're just, okay, cool. Wow, 6.15 in the morning. So, so uh, you parent, you boys, make sure your mom gets a nice nap this afternoon and, and, you, and you take care of her. Well, you know what? You know what? One of my favorite things about Christmas Day is, not, not Christmas season, but Christmas the day, is this. Is that by this point, all of the hype, all of the buildup, all of the buzz that leads up to Christmas Day is over. The anxiety, the stress should by this point, I hope, be slowing down and we can get down to what Christmas is all about. And when you strip away all the hype, all the buzz, all the busyness, what is Christmas really about? At the heart of Christmas, it's about a baby that was born, right? So I want to ask you a question. Who here this morning would say that you get excited about a newborn baby. You get excited about a newborn baby. Lots of hands. For some people, like, there's just this magical thing about a newborn baby. It just, it fills them up with this special warmth inside that they just can't get enough of it. For some people, when they hold in their hands a precious, little, soft, cuddly, warm newborn baby, there's just this special joy. I am not one of those people. <laughs> I'm not. Up until, up until a few years ago, like, I, I just didn't get it. Like, what in the world is the big deal about babies? They just look like a whole bunch of work. Once you, once you reach your 20s, if you're past your 20s, you might remember this, all your friends, they start to have babies. And you go to visit the kids or the parents with their newborn baby, and what do they do? It's like the obligatory offer to let you hold their child moment. And, and I have to think, like, I didn't want to be rude to people, but when they would go to hand me their child, I would shrink back and think in my head, if I place that child in my hands, only bad can happen. <laughs> Nothing good can come of this. Like, if I hold that, I will probably be the person that drops the baby and is forever known as the friend who dropped their kid. Or, or if I put the baby in my hands, it would like poop or pee or throw up on me, which would lead me to drop the baby and forever become the friend that dropped their baby. Or worst case scenario would be they would put their child into my hands and then they would walk away, leaving me stuck with their problem for the rest of the night. Whenever we got pregnant, mostly my wife got pregnant with our first child... <laughs> 
we realized that I knew nothing about taking care of a kid. So we went to one of those, here's what you do if you're going to be a parent for the first time classes. And when you go, they're teaching you what to do with a plastic baby doll. And I'm looking and I'm watching this. I'm like, how hard can it be to hold a baby doll? Like, I had my sister's baby dolls when I was a little kid. I held them by their hair and threw them around and probably did worse things to their baby dolls to get to my sister's. But something happened when I actually had to hold that plastic baby doll in my hand like it was a real child. I froze. I got nervous. It was like all of a sudden I was holding in my arms this precious, priceless Ming Dynasty vase that also happened to be filled with radioactive material. And it was freaked me out. My, my wife and I, we were talking this past week, and as best I can tell, through 30 years of life, the first time I ever held a real baby was when I held my own son. And for all of you baby people here, you know what? When I was in that hospital, and the nurse comes over to me, and she's got that little baby in the hospital blanket, she put him in my arms, and I looked down at him. All of a sudden, I got it. I think I saw what all of you see. I'm looking down at my son for the first time, and I see innocence, right? You see this little human being that's pure. No exposure to the evil that's in our world. No exposure to the hurt and the pain. Looking down at my son, and I see possibilities. What's he going to grow up to be? How might this guy change the world? I'm looking down on my son, and I see this beautiful, beautiful miracle. I was there when both of my kids were born. I know that science can explain what takes place at childbirth, but there's no way science can explain the miracle behind what makes it all happen. It was miraculous. And there's no doubt, there's no doubt that whenever Mary and Joseph and the shepherds were there, and they're looking down at Jesus in a manger, that they saw those same things. But you know what else I saw when I was holding my newborn son in my arms? I saw a human being who was completely and totally dependent. I saw this infant who was relying entirely on my wife and I for everything he needed to feed him, to clothe him, to keep him warm and sheltered, to protect him from the things in life that would try to hurt him, to comfort him when he would cry or when he would be scared, and to clean up the messes that he pretty quickly started to make all over himself. It didn't take me very long as a new parent to realize that when you're the father of a newborn, being a dad of a baby is, it's really not about, it's really not at all about heart-to-heart -heart talks or teachable moments or setting a good example. Being the dad of a newborn is about one thing and one thing only. I have to keep this kid alive. I, I can't mess up. I'm the guy who puts my cup of coffee on top of my car and drives away forgetting that it's there. I can't do that with my kid. The weight of the responsibility came down on top of me, and I realized just how much this little guy was counting on my wife and I. No mulligans. We've got to do it right from the start. And since, since that moment, since, since th those five and a half years ago, realizing the helplessness of, a, of an infant, there's been a question that I've wrestled with every Christmas since. And this morning in our time together, I want to bring that question to you, and I want to talk about it. And I believe that as 
we talk about it, that I have and, and that we will together, find an answer that may give us a new aspect, a new light in which to see Christmas. And the question that I have is this. It's a simple question. Why would Jesus, who if we believe our Bible, why would Jesus, who the Bible tells us is God, why would he come to earth not just as a human being, but in the form of the most needy, helpless, dependent kind of human being there is? A baby. I mean, have you ever, have you ever really sat there and thought about what is the imp- apparent absurdity of the miracle in the manger? I mean, there, there is God. Right? God himself, the creator of all of the universe, the one with power over life and death, and yet he came to earth as a baby that could not even so much as lift a bite of food to his own mouth nor control his own bodily functions. Has it ever dawned on you that the most important baby in the history of the entire world entrusted himself to a middle school-aged girl and a carpenter who had zero total parenting experience. Mary and Joseph, in our world today, could not even go down to the local pet shelter and adopt a cat or a dog because they wouldn't have been qualified. And yet Jesus, God himself, entrusted himself, became dependent upon them for his life. And I don't raise these questions this morning because I want to challenge your faith or make you question what you believe about Christmas, I raise what has been to me a hard question because I believe that when we read our Bibles and we see the hard questions and then we're willing to go and look for the answers, that's when we really discover things we've never seen before about God. So I just ask you, have you ever wondered why did Jesus come as a baby? If you've read your Bible, you know that there's not much action until he turns about 30 Couldn't God have just made a full-grown man? He did it before when he made Adam, and that turned out okay until he met Eve. (laughs) Why did he just do that and spare Jesus the vulnerability of being an infant? Now, for you theologians in your seats that are answering the question, no doubt fulfilling Bible prophecy in the Old Testament has something to do with it. That's part of the answer. No doubt Coming as a baby would verify his humanity. But I think that there's another answer. Maybe an answer that today on Christmas we can a little bit more directly apply to our lives. As I've, as I've prayed about this and as I've thought about it, this, this is why I think that Jesus came to our world as a baby. I think that Jesus came to our world as a baby. So that from that manger... In his dependence on Joseph and Mary for everything that he needed, he could show us that a dependence that we need to have on God for everything that we need. He literally placed his life in the hands of Mary and Joseph for his food, for shelter, for protection, for comfort, for cleaning up after him to set an example for us. In his cries, in those moments when he would reach out for his father's finger, and as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, in his becoming nothing and taking on human nature in the form of the lowliest of servants, 
Jesus, from the manger, as a baby, is modeling for us what it is to be like for us to grow spiritually. Before his human body even had developed the ability to express thoughts and spoken words, he's teaching us. He's teaching us from the manger about our relationship with God. And what he's saying to us is this. I've come to this world as a baby and placed my life in the hands of human parents. I'm dependent upon them for everything I need. I'm relying on them. I can't do it for myself. They have to do it for me. He's teaching us through that example that we have to place our lives in God's hands. That we have to depend on him for what we need. That it's not up to ourselves. Like a baby, we have to have that approach in our relationship with God. So when you start to view the manger like this, I think it helps us to make a little bit better sense sometimes of the things that Jesus taught when he was able to use words to teach. For instance, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, as Matthew the tax collector, one of Jesus' disciples tells us there, Jesus is out and about one day. And some folks come up to him and ask him a question. They say, who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, takes their question and he gives them an answer that they, no way they could have expected. They say, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And he pulls a little child over to himself. And no doubt the people that are there are thinking, oh my goodness, really? A kid. Okay, I hope this doesn't take too long because we just asked a really important question and we want the answer. And Jesus grabs his kid over to him and maybe he sets him on his lap. Maybe he just puts his arm around him or puts his hand on his head. And he says this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 2. He says, I tell you the truth. Like Jesus is going to lie. And he says, unless you change... Remember, this kid's on his lap. He says, unless you all change, he says, unless there's some kind of progression in your life, unless, unless there's some kind of movement from where you're at now to where you need to be, unless there's a change in your life and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is taking their worldview and turning it sideways. And he's trying to say to them, guys, 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 you just don't, you don't, like, you don't get it. You keep thinking that God calculates greatness like people calculate greatness. Like, like God's up in heaven just looking down with a score sheet and he's saying, okay, which one of you is going to impress me today? Which one of you is going to do something big? And what they don't realize is that God God doesn't major our spirituality by the big things that we can show him. He measures it by the big things that we can discover that he can do. And Jesus is telling them that they are, they are making the mistake of measuring spiritual maturity the same way that we measure physical maturity. And as they look at this little child, they're thinking, that little child is not very mature. Because we measure physical maturity by independence. We measure physical maturity by independence. What can you do for yourself? Can you walk across the room for yourself? One of the greatest moments in my, my parenthood so far has been the moment the child could hold the bottle himself. That was awesome. We got like an hour of time back a day. 
Can you put your own clothes on? Can you feed yourself? Can you read for yourself? All the way up to the point where can you go get your own job and provide for your own needs and, dare I say, buy me presents? <laughs> as dads, as dads, your goal, your goal is to raise up children who are independent. You want them to grow up. Let me show you a picture from my house this morning if they're able to bring it up on the screen. That's my man Ashton. He's three and a half years old. That's Christmas morning in our house. There's nobody that can rock the monkey slippers, the Christmas PJs, the Penn's jersey, and the Captain America hat all at one time like he can. <laughs> He's three, and that's cute. But one day, I do not want him to still be in my basement wearing monkey slippers. <laughs> if he is, I wouldn't question whether he is physically mature. I want him to grow up. I want him to learn to be a husband and a dad and an employee and a leader. I want him to be physically mature. I want him to be independent. And Jesus is saying to these guys, look, yeah, spiritually, there's got to be this progression. There's got to be this change. But growing up spiritually doesn't look the same as growing up physically. He said there's a change, there's a progression in your life when you're growing spiritually, but it's not what you would expect. Because although, although physical maturity is measured by movement towards independence, Jesus is trying to get them and to get us to realize spiritual maturity is measured by movement toward dependence on God. Growing up spiritually doesn't look like becoming great and powerful and impressive to God. Growing up spiritually, Jesus is saying, looks like becoming like this little child, or even further, like a baby, in depending on God for everything that you need. So as we wrap up here in our final, final moments together, let me give you a few ways that you can depend on God learning this from a baby. Way number one, realize that you are not as in control as you think you are. Realize that you're not as in control as you think you are. Now, a baby might think it's in control of its entire universe, but as parents, it's really easy, and as adults, it's really easy to look at a manger or a cradle or a crib and say, that baby isn't in control at all. It's a lot harder to do the same thing looking at our own lives because we think things like, I'm the one who studied hard. I'm the one who got up every morning and went to work. I'm the one who saved. I'm the one who made good decisions. I'm the reason my life has turned out the way that it has. No doubt, no doubt you have more control over your life now than you did when you were an infant, but probably not as much as you think you do. Think about it. You had no control over who your parents were, where you were born, or your skin, hair, or eye color. You had no control over the decisions that your parents made when choosing how to raise you. For many of you here, the fact that there's not snow on the ground outside shows that you have no control over the weather. For me, the fact that it's not sunny and 75 degrees shows that I have no control over the weather. You have no control over the stock market. Even if you voted, you had almost no control over the leaders who were elected in our country. And now that they'll be in office, you have no control over the decisions that they'll make. You have no control over where other drivers on the road choose to steer their car or what other kids at school or what other people at work think or say about you. You have no control over the fact that every year, on the same day of the year, you turn one year older. 
or the fact that one day, no matter how good your genes are or how smart your health decisions are, your earthly body will give out and you will leave this physical world and enter into eternity. And you have no control over whether your family members, your kids, your friends, or your neighbors will give their lives to Jesus and choose to follow him. Now, if you're pushing back, I will agree that you have influence over these things. But there's almost nothing, no outcome in our lives that we can guarantee with absolute certainty. What can we control? The only thing I know that we can control is whether we will realize the minimal control that we do have and learn to depend upon God who is in control of our world. Number two, start everything by asking for God's help. Start everything by asking for God's help. If you're a parent, you have been wakened in the middle of the night by the sound, a little bit crackly, coming over a baby monitor. Three in the morning, what does that tell you? My baby needs something. Children, babies, start to solve every problem they have by doing what? Crying. They, they cry out for mom and dad. How would your approach to the big things in life and even the everyday things in life be different if you began everything by crying out to God first in prayer? You need to have a hard conversation with somebody. But before you just walk into their office, you stop and ask God to help you have the words to say in the conversation. You find out that your kid is involved in a problem. But before you respond or you react, you pause and say, okay, God, I need you to have my back here. You're driving to, to work, to practice, to Walmart, or to church. Did you ask God to come with you? Not just to give you safety, but to guide you in every moment of that experience that you're about to embark on. The car breaks down. The furnace goes out. The water heater breaks. Before you jump into troubleshooting mode, Pause to ask God, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? I, I, I circled this because I just want to make sure I'm honest with you all. It's super easy for me to sit in my chair at home and, and write out what we do to ask God for help with everything. I just need you to know this is really hard, especially for me. But the question that God's really been showing me in the past month is, what, what would my life look like? What would my faith look like? If I began to depend on God from the outset of everything I do, instead of in the middle when I don't know what to do, or at the end when things are messed up or broken, start everything by asking for God's help first. Number three, learning to depend on God like a baby. Number three is open your eyes to how God's been working all along. Open your eyes to how God's been working all along. Babies, they have the ability, ability to see clearly only about 8 to 15 inches from their faces. That's why when you read like a, a new parent book, the book will tell you that as a mom or dad, you need to get your face close to your child so that he or she will begin to learn who you are. The problem is that when mom or dad's face isn't 8 to 15 inches from the child's face, the baby get, begins to think, what? Mom or dad isn't there. Even though the parent might be in the same room doing something for the child, like changing a diaper or warming a bottle or even saying a prayer. How often do we have baby-like limited vision when it comes to God? It's like sometimes unless God is working in our lives in obvious eight inches from our faces kind of ways, 
we think he's not there at all. When in reality, he's been working all along, taking care of us, and we just haven't seen it. So my challenge is to stretch your vision. Stretch your vision. I promise you, God has been working in your life in ways that you haven't even seen yet. Look for those ways. When you begin to see what he's been doing for you all along, you realize that God is there even if you haven't, haven't noticed. And when you begin to notice, it becomes easier to depend on him. Open your eyes to what God's been doing all along. Last, number four, get rid of your false dependencies. Get rid of the things you depend on instead of God. In our house, in the Flores household, we have a big day when our boys turn four. The pacifier fairy comes and takes away your pacifier to give it to little kids who are babies because you're a big boy now. You don't need it anymore. Some folks are carrying around spiritual pacifiers. Can't see them. They got that big old hunk of rubber, plastic in their mouths because they're depending upon things that take the place of God in their lives. Maybe you feel like you can't depend upon God because every time you have a problem, you go running to something else first. What is it that you turn to in your life when things get hard? When you're stressed? When you're upset? What do you turn to to feel safe? What or who do you run to to take care of you? What is your spiritual pacifier that takes the place of God in bringing you peace and comfort? You're never going to learn to depend on God like a baby depends on his parents if you don't get rid of that pacifier. So this morning, I don't know what you carried in here with you this morning. I don't know what your year's been like. Some folks, I imagine, you, you came in here this morning, and 2016 has been a great year. You'd do it all over again if you could. It's been wonderful, and I'm glad for that. Realize that God's been at work in the year that you've had. He's been at work in your life. He's been taking care of you. This baby in the manger is teaching us this morning on Christmas. He's teaching you, keep depending upon me. Don't let the good things in your life make you think that it's you. Depend upon him. Others, though, you've come in here and it's not been a good year. Things haven't gone as you've wanted them to. There's been problems, unexpected things. And the same baby is teaching you the same thing. Depend upon God. Not only do you not have to go through it alone, you won't get through it alone unless you turn to the baby that grew up to be our Savior, Jesus, gave his life, not just so we could go to heaven, but so that we could have meaning and purpose in the life we live here on earth. So my challenge to you this morning, whether you've had a great year, a bad year, or in between, is that whenever you see this manger scene, this Christmas and in future Christmases, be reminded, be reminded, that even though Jesus maybe couldn't say words from that manger. He's still teaching us. He's teaching us to depend upon our Heavenly Father the same way that a baby depends upon his parents. 
The worship team is going to come in a moment and lead us in one final song, then we'll let you get on to the rest of your Christmas. Green bean casserole, ham, the weird uncle, whatever's in store. Before they do, though, let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. There's so much in this Christmas story. I feel like every year, whenever we have Christmas time, God, like there's something else that I've never seen before that just pops out. And how many times have we heard it? God, I just thank you for the different levels that you can teach us from. God, I confess to you that I don't always depend on you. I think that I've got this, and I don't. God, I pray that you'll help me to model what I say and depend upon you, just like a newborn baby depends upon his parents. And I pray the same for each person here. Whatever they're dealing with in their life or whatever challenge they have, I pray that you will help them to find their answer in you. In Jesus' name I pray.